Hello. Welcome back. Episode one, season two. Nice to have you back. Hope you're doing great. Hope your January has brought you everything you could ever wish for. And I hope your resolutions are going to plan. A um, little bit of an apology for me off the bat. Um, I think I promised in the last episode, maybe, that these episodes were going to come out kind of early on in the year. But for one reason or another, that couldn't happen. So, yeah, you got my apologies for that. But doesn't matter because they're coming to you now. And that's all that matters. Um, so, yeah, 2020. Loads of conversations coming up this year. Some, well, all of them I'm really excited about, not just some of them. I'm really excited about all of them. Um, at the moment, um, our planning's taken us up to about April time. Um, and yeah, there's some great artists in there, writers, curators, some musicians. Yeah, great group of people. And I'm really looking forward to kind of getting them out there and um, yeah, letting you hear what they have to say. So, episode one, um, we've got Benjamin Murphy on the podcast this week. Um, Benjamin is a visual artist, writer and co-director of Delphian Gallery. He's based in London and he's known to create artworks using the medium of electrical tape. Innocence, fragility, obscenity, beauty, despair, chaos, love are kind of all frequently recurring themes in his work. Um, and recent shows for Ben have included Vile Oblivion at Crete Gallery in Helsinki, Gilded Chaos at Beers Contemporary in London, Innocence is a Thing of Which We Know Nothing at Great Eastern Bear, also in London, and Abandon All Hope at Hoxton Gallery too. As I mentioned before, uh, Benjamin co-directs Delphine Gallery with Nick Thompson. Um, Delphine Gallery is an artist-run nomadic gallery and arts platform but they launched together back in 2017. Primarily London based they aim to show the most captivating and challenging work by emerging and early career contemporary artists. They also often endeavour to give a platform to artists that aren't regularly shown in London as well. Um, past exhibitions have included shows from Florence Hutchings, Geordie Kerwick and Bertrand Fournier as well as large-scale group exhibitions too. Um, in 2018, they launched their inaugural annual open call competition, which was entirely free to enter, and that attracted over 10,000 entries from all over the world. And as well as the gallery, Delphian also produced the Delphian podcast, Delphian magazine, and they host free talks and panel discussions for early career artists too. So if you haven't managed to have a look or have a listen to any of those, definitely recommend doing so. I caught a Benjamin in his kitchen in South East London, which is just a few yards away from the studio space up the hall. And within his studio, he's just recently jumped into the never-ending, bottomless, infinite, mind-boggling pool that is oil painting, um, which is proving challenging, um, but offering him up a lot of exciting possibilities and new avenues that he can explore in his work, which we chat about in the podcast. Um, also, as well as that, his experiences opening one gallery, ideas that informed his recent book, um, all the way to his kind of adoration of Marina Abramovich. So, yeah, plenty of interesting stuff to listen to. Um, so I'll stop blabbering on. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for joining in. Um, yeah, here's our chat. 
Evening, Benjamin. Good evening. How's it going? Good. It's going good. 2020, first season two, episode one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's good. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? What have you been up to today? Pretty good. I've uh, done some painting. I bought a fridge and I spent probably 30 minutes on my hands and knees cleaning up cat hair <laughs> from the carpet because I didn't want the house to be a shell when you come around. <laughs> I wanted to make a good stair first impression. <laughs> you made a stellar first impression. You haven't been upstairs yet. You haven't seen the cat hair that I'd... There's a good 60% of it still there. My uh, One of my housemates has a long-haired cat. Gets everywhere. <laughs> um, you mentioned painting. You've been painting today. Um, I've been painting today, yeah. We might as well start... We could start with that. And your, and your practice, your artistic practice first. Yeah, painting, big topic. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe introduce us to your to your work first of all. Yeah, well, that's uh, I suppose that's a broad answer to that question, really, because I'm at the moment in a in a bit of a flux period because mm-hmm. my work up until this point or up until um, I suppose December has been made from black electrical tape and it's like figurative, detailed, patterny um, line drawing made with black electrical tape on glass. Um, and then I suppose I got into a bit of a rut with it. Um, if you do something over and over again, over and over and over again, for however long it's been since 2012, um, you start to get a bit sick of it, right? So I found myself in this place where I was basically working for shows. So everything I made pretty much had a place in mind that it was going to um and because my tape works take so long um they can take one can take maybe three weeks four weeks maybe Mm. because they take so long i didn't really have the freedom and the time to just play around and experiment and um i'm a lecturer at university and i basically saw this wild unrestrained freedom that the students had to just explore and experiment um and i became essentially a little bit envious of that freedom Mm. and um and i wrote a book a a delphine gallery uh project a book that is um essentially like a business book for early career artists and Rather than being like a to-do list, it's, it's like opinion pieces about stuff. And basically, I realised that through reading stuff that I'd written, I wasn't actually taking my own advice. And I was like, if, if I'm sick of what I'm doing, like, it's, it's not like I've got a boss that's <laughs> like giving me quotas of, right, I need this much done by this time. Mm. So I was like, fuck it then, I'm just going to sack this off for a while. Mm. I mean, I'll, I'm sure I'll go back to it, but um, I was like... I'm just going to play. I'm going to give myself the freedom to make stuff and experiment and have fun. So I started painting with oil paint and I've got absolutely no idea what I'm doing when it comes to oil paint. Um, And so when I started, I was like, right, this is going to be fun. I'm going to be free. I was trying to replicate the precision that I get with my other work. And I couldn't. And that is... um, inherently futile anyway I think it's impossible but um and that and it would be to almost devalue the paint because it has its own qualities that it's um that are 
incredibly valuable. Like the the way paint works is is different and amazing. In um, so I realised I couldn't replicate the same precision and detail that I could with paint that I could with tape. So then I just I, I kind of realised like I it's not possible for me to do that. I've never painted before, so I need to just embrace that naivety, have fun in having no idea what I'm doing, and make some works that I'm sure some of them are going to be garbage. In fact, some of them are. I've, I've binned a few of them already. Um, so yeah, so I'm in, I'm in a bit of a flux period, but it's a very exciting one because I'm just playing. The shows that I've got these works kind of earmarked for mm. are two of them they're both in May I've decided I'm not going to show until then so I'm basically going to it's inevitable that a lot of the work I make for is going to be shit <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing yeah. so I'm going to just allow that and see what happens and this is the first time I've, I've uh, been in that position for since I started exhibiting mm. so yeah very exciting time um, why do you think it is that um people can have such an, like an adversity to taking risks and um, yeah or to kind of getting, getting stuck in a rut why do you think that is well for you anyway uh, I think there's a, a few facets to that firstly I think the more you do something the more it becomes like learned behaviour and it's like muscle memory and um, an example I use often is like when I draw an eye I draw it a very specific way I include a very certain amount of detail and I omit certain details and and I don't think about doing that anymore that's just how I draw an eye now yeah um and that becomes the case with everything you do so when I go to draw do a an artwork it's always black and white it's always figurative it's always line drawing just because that's what my that's the vocabulary in which my artwork manifests itself now um so you have to force yourself out of that um and it, and it is uncomfortable, and I think that's potentially why um, it's difficult, because you then end up working in ways that you're not so comfortable. So, like, say, with my paintings, like, it's something that is completely alien to me. Um, so, um, yeah, it's quite an uncomfortable thing um, to do, and I think that's potentially why. I think another side, another answer to that is that... Um, what you do or what you have been doing is what people expect of you. So say if I I have a show coming up that's going to get drastically different works to what they're expecting <laughs> and um, I'm not sure how happy they're going to be about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so yes, I think it's, it's partly that it's just natural to continue on the same path, but also um, I suppose you have to be quite brave to um to make stuff that isn't necessarily going to resonate with the people that all of your past work has done so say if people like your work for a certain reason and then you change your work drastically you might not retain that and those those people might might uh stop being so interested so i think that's something that scares people off Mm. i think subconsciously both of those things were a factor in in me not doing um, me not making these slight diversions earlier, yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned where you're sending the works might not be. 
<laughs> might not be happy with, with, with the work that they receive, which is probably a nice opportunity to start talking about the gallery that you run, yeah. Delphian. Um, that has happened to us also. You, well, yeah, the, <laughs> well, yeah the, well, this is kind of how I was going to, yeah, this is what I was going to ask you about. Um, well, maybe we should start talking about firstly, before we kind of get into your artists and things, um, if you could just introduce, introduce the gallery yeah. um, and what you guys are about. Delphian Gallery is um, a, it was almost an accident. It was, it was me and my business partner slash friend slash um, land baron now. He's my, he's my um, landlord. Um, we, we curated a show in my studio in Whitechapel before I moved in about 2013 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think... I mean, it had a few names, I think, but one of them was Delphian. I don't really know why, but I think it was we wanted a word that was quite Googleable. So yeah. you Google it, you'll only really find us. Um, so we did that show, and it was terrible, really, if, when we look back. Um, <laughs> but so we created an Instagram account for that, and then we created, and then we kind of it went off the boil a little bit, and we kind of forgot about it for a while because we were both exhibiting our own work so much that um, exhibiting other people's work was just another distraction, I suppose. Um, And then in... So I think Delphine's maybe two years old now. So about two years ago, we um, had a meeting with a friend of ours who has a venue called The Print Space in East London. So shout out to Stuart. He's not not listening. Um, But yeah, and he was like... Uh, basically, um, I've created, I've made a website um, for a gallery that I was going to launch in my space that now I don't have the time to. So basically, do you want this website and do you want to do some shows in my space? Mm. So he gave us the website, um, which we totally rebranded and re-changed all the content, obviously. Um, and he was like, yeah, you can do as many shows here as you want. Wow per year so we're like uh okay then so then we did we did one uh the first show was a group show so we did a group show and we wanted our because we're both artists we wanted our curatorial approach it's probably going to be a wanky thing to say we wanted our our curatorial approach to be quite experimental and from the perspective of an artist okay um so so we um, I think being artists ourselves is very... It's an integral part of Delphian Gallery because I think um, the way we approach a show, obviously we now have had experience of what it's like to be an artist and what it's like to be a gallerist when approaching a show. Yeah. Um, so our hangs are often... I don't want to say experimental because there's all kinds of magic going on in the world mm. now which <laughs> we just exhibit paintings more often than not. Um, <laughs> but we try and make each show not just a collection of individual artworks if that makes sense yeah. so we try and unify them and make the the whole more than just the sum of its parts um and our aim is or i suppose our demographic is we want to be exhibiting the most exciting early career artists that we can find because there's there's enough people lining up to show mid-career late career superstars yeah um, there's probably not enough, well, there definitely isn't enough, um, galleries exhibiting the earlier career artists. Um, but as we were saying before we were recording, 
that's often where the most exciting art is coming from. Yeah. So we decided that we wanted to be a gallery exhibiting those type of artists. We also decided that we wanted to be more than just a gallery. So we wanted to not only be exhibiting and selling these people's works, but we wanted to be investing in the community a little more, which is why we do the series of talks and the, the podcast and the open calls and um, the book, mm. etc. Yeah. So I suppose, I mean, I've just waffled on there for a bit. I can't really remember what I've just said, but <laughs> that's probably it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how do you go about finding, finding your artists? Um, well, I mean, the majority of the time it's Instagram. Okay. Um, we go to a lot of shows, um, but now I think going to a show is almost the second port of call for people discovering art nowadays. I think the, the gallery is not where people discover art anymore. It's where they follow up a discovery. So they discover someone's work online and then they seek it out in the flesh. Um, more often than not, at least. So, yeah, I mean, it would be remiss to say that probably 95% of the artwork that all of us ever encounter is not online now, because I think it probably is, just because of how quickly you scroll through yeah. um, an Instagram feed. Um, so, yeah, so we find a lot of it online, probably a ma the majority of it. Um, we also try and exhibit artists who aren't really exhibiting very much in London, because we don't want to be just doing the same as every other gallery. So we often will show artists from overseas whose work we haven't seen in the flesh until it arrives for a show with us, um, which is an interesting experience. Uh, <laughs> although we've never had one and thought, oh, that looked better on Instagram. So I suppose, have we been lucky? I don't know. Maybe that's just uh, the case. <laughs> yeah. um, and on on your website, you you describe Delphi as being a nomadic gallery. Yeah, so we don't have a we don't have a permanent space. Yeah. So, me and Nick are both artists, which is um, a lot of work in itself. Um, and I'm a lecturer at university, um, and I write about art. So Delphian is just one of four jobs essentially yeah. that I have um, and so for that reason I can't really devote um, all of my time to it mm. um, and the same with Nick so um, we don't have a permanent space which has its pros and cons but actually at the moment I think the pros are outweighing the cons mm. to a massive extent because mm. we don't have to pay monthly rent if we were paying monthly rent we'd well firstly we'd have to do 12 shows a year plus then you have to start doing art fairs so maybe 15 17 shows a year which is just a lot more work but also you have to be you have to be selling them you have to be making bank to pay the rent yeah um and so i think once a gallery gets permanent space there then their focus is sales 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 and um especially if you want to start doing like art fairs and stuff you have to be selling for a certain price bracket that um, prices out all of these exciting early career artists that we want to be exhibiting. So for that reason, well, for that and other reasons, I think not having a permanent space is great for us at the moment. Yeah. And also, it has the added bonus of, like, our next show is in Paris, just because we were like, let's do a show in Paris. Yeah. 
Um, and we're potentially doing one in Helsinki uh, in summer. Mm. Um, so yeah, it gives us that freedom as well. And I think um, to have a permanent space, we'd have all of these other concerns then that um, would, or it would be difficult to not allow them to affect what we're doing. Yeah. Because um, we do shows with artists that um, have never shown before in some cases. Um, so you don't have that guarantee of sales. And if you don't have guarantee of sales uh, and you have a permanent space, you're not going to be able to pay the rent. So we do shows that um, we, um, we don't expect to make more. We expect to lose money on, say, the open call. Um, is a show where we, we the open call is completely free to enter anyone anywhere in the world can enter um, and we have an open call com- exhibition of 30 to 40 artists who we make prints of their work so that so that there's no barriers of entry yeah. say a, a, a penniless artist on the other side of the world has to worry about shipping and insuring their artwork Mm. Um, that's not the case with us so we do prints um, our friends at the print space print those for us luckily so we're very um, lucky in that sense um, and and then we do a solo show with the overall winner of that so um, luckily they've done really well but they are shows mm. that um, inherently by their very nature may not make money and if we had a permanent space, we wouldn't be able to do that kind of yeah. thing. So it gives us a lot of freedom. And I think um, for what we're doing and what we want to be doing, it's, um, it's the, right, the yeah. right way right now, at least. Mm. Mm. Um, and you mentioned, is the next show going to be in France, did you say? Yeah. Um, can we get any dates on that? Or is that... You can. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a solo show with Florence Hutchins. Mm-hmm. So she won our 2019 open, no, 2018 open call. Yeah, we then did a solo show with her, um, and she's doing super well. She um, she did a huge show at the Saatchi Gallery last last summer. She's yeah, she's doing amazingly, um, and yeah, so it's going to be a solo show with her. It's going to be at the end of March. Mm. Um, we do know the date, but I just don't. I can't remember it. <laughs> uh, but it's it's called the Doors of Perception. And yeah, what can we expect from that show? I get the sense that the people in the UK, for instance, can't go. Is it going to be? Is, is it going to be our paintings? I yeah, to. it's going to be paintings. Um, there's going to be some really big work and some really small work. Um, there's also going to be some form of publication. So, cool. zine type. Yeah. Thing. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say at this point. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I suppose by the time this comes out. When is this coming out? By the time this comes out, we might have released the details anyway. A few a week or so. Oh. Say we won't. I won't say the date, but it'll be about yeah. a week from now. Well, yeah. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, <laughs> dear listener, get on Google, I suppose. Cool. Uh, yeah. Um, and you mentioned like maybe Helsinki. Um, um, yeah, a show there. Are there. You've got any other plans for the for the gallery this year? Yeah. So we're. Doing the open call again. So the open call, we're going to do that every year. So that'll submissions will be open for all of February. Yeah. We did actually work out the schedule the other day, and I just can't remember exactly. So the the open call will be open for all of February. So people will be submitting throughout all of February. 
Then March is Florence's show. So we usually do one show on, one show off. Okay. Yeah. So, so that leaves April free. May, I can't remember what we're doing. Oh no, May, May I think we might have off because I've got a few shows of my work mm. in May. Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but so we're going to do the open call. Yeah. Then we're going to do the, so that'll be the open call group show. Then there'll be an overall winner of the open call. Oh, I've just realised who the, uh, the one in between is. Not sure if I'm allowed to say that. That's all right. Um, <laughs> Uh, I did hint it though on Instagram, so maybe I can. It's a two. It's a two-person show. Yeah. One of which we've exhibited before, yeah. um, and the other one we haven't. Um, and then there'll be probably another two-person show, and that'll be the one in Helsinki. Cool. And we're going to do a big group show potentially mm. towards the end of the year. Mm. So, is was was running a gallery something that you always wanted to do? No, being an artist wasn't even something mm. I always wanted to do. Running a gallery was, um, yeah, we just, oh, I think I got on this thread earlier, but then I'd lost my way just yeah. waffling on about nonsense. But um, yeah, we, we set up the gallery just as like a, for that first show, actually, yeah. for the one in my studio. And then we started posting on Instagram and then, then we got offered the space. And so, yeah, everything that I do in my career was kind of an accident. Yeah. None of it was really like, I never had dreams to be an artist or... Mm dreams to be a writer or anything it was like it's just all I suppose happy accidents yeah yeah just being in the right place at the right time or getting a leg up from someone or mm. or just f- by chance just discovering like oh maybe this will be an interesting career choice mm. like yeah all none, none of it was planned yeah <laughs> um what's kind of surprised you or what what have you learned from kind of opening up the gallery and in the first few years of it, yeah, being out there. Hmm, what surprised me? Hmm, um, well, I mean, my, if you look at my work, yeah, very black and white monochrome line drawing, and then you look at the work I exhibit, yeah, it's very different to that. Yeah. I never would have predicted that. Um, I suppose the art world is, is a lot smaller than it may seem from the outside. So, like... Not that everyone knows everyone, but everyone knows someone who will know someone. everyone. <laughs> so it's, it's a much smaller world than it seems, mm. and it's actually very open and very... Um, it's not as... So I used to work in bars. I used to manage cocktail bars, and that's a very competitive industry, and like all the bars in, in, in any area hate each other, and mm. the art world isn't like that, and I don't know why that is. Um, I think it's galleries are showing various different artists that are all kind of then no galleries don't really have a monopoly on any artist um i mean they galleries will sign artists but Mm. those artists will still exhibit in other galleries and maybe that's part of it yeah i don't know but um but yes a very exciting place to be the art world um in terms of running a gallery what surprised me um i don't know really um I suppose running a gallery or maybe I shouldn't say what surprised you but what maybe what have you learned maybe from from the whole process mm, actually yeah that is yeah um, so I suppose the main thing that I've learned and the most important piece of advice I would ever pass on to anyone were I to be asked would be get good at the admin um, as early as possible so this is something that I tell my students all the time no one's going to do that for you, at least not until you're at a certain stage in your career where you are signed to some blue chip gallery or whatever. 
So all of the boring, dull, dry shit like mailing lists and and keeping track of sales and doing your self-assessment and all of that boring, non-romantic <laughs> nonsense that you've got to do mm. being a small business, which is what yeah. all artists are. Yeah. Um, especially if you want to be serious about it, you have to think of yourself as a business and treat it like that. Yeah. And that's something that is quite hard to hear. It's quite hard to accept because being an artist isn't necessarily something that is synonymous with being good at that kind of thing. Um, but I think long gone are the days of a tortured artist sitting in his, sitting in their studio, working away um, and being discovered. No one's going to come knocking on your front door and saying, do you happen to be an amazing artist? And if so, can I sell your work for millions? And I don't think that happens. So... Um, and also just make it'll make your life a whole lot easier um, so yeah and that is something that I had to get good at all that kind of stuff mm. for Delphian Gallery and then I apply that to my own my own practice and it's yeah one of the most valuable things I learned I think mm. Mm. Um, and do you write for do you write because you you write yourself yeah. in like, your own work and do you also write for the gallery too is that part of your role there uh, yeah, so um, um, I hate press releases. I never write press releases. I don't write my own. I don't write them for Delphi and Gallery. Um, our friend Wing Shan, she writes the press releases. Mm. Um, so we also do Delphi and Magazine and we've done the book. So I write for those. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... Talk- Is- sorry? Oh, sorry, go on. I interrupt you there. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to say. I'd, I'll just talk and talk, and talk oh, yeah. until someone stops me, um, so... The magazine is that is that just an on, is that just yeah. online yeah yeah so it's it's kind of I suppose it's a blog, um, but we've named it the magazine because then we can write about and publicise artists and shows and stuff that we're not directly involved in yeah so um, so we try and um, as much as we can give um, essentially give press to other galleries mm. and artists. Um, on that and through that um, and so it just made sense to separate it slightly from well from the idea of it being a blog yeah. Um, so yeah so I do write that yeah Yeah. and are they shows predominantly in, in London or no um, no uh, I think um, not yeah all, all of the exciting stuff in the art world isn't happening in London mm. it's happening all over the place I think it's yeah. important to acknowledge that and to um and to, yeah, and to give them shout-outs whenever we can. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some amazing galleries all over the world. But mm. there's galleries and artists that I speak to often that I've never been to mm. and I may never go to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, social media, for, for all its faults, is amazing. Mm. Um, you also mentioned early on um, that Delphine has a podcast too. Um, Maybe, yeah, maybe you could talk about like why, why you set that up and, um, yeah, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that, I'm not really sure why we did it. We, <laughs> me and Nick will have these ideas and we'll be like, should we do a podcast? And then, like, the next week we're just doing a podcast. Um, so I don't really know why. Mm. I think the listeners of this may have ascertained the fact that I talk a lot. So, especially when it's about art. Mm. Um, so I suppose it's almost a natural outlet for me to to 
get rid of some of that yeah. through. <laughs> yeah. But I really, really try and dial myself back on mm. my own podcast. So mm. I try and talk as little as possible because nobody's nobody's pulling up the Delphine podcast and listening to it to hear me talk. Yeah. It's it's they want to hear the guest talk, so um maybe that's why I'm talking so much now. Because <laughs> <I, laughs> um, so yeah, so um what was the question? I just yeah, I just introduced us to the podcast yeah, and um, so. and you're like maybe your aims for it and our aims for any. it were um, we wanted to talk to people from all not all but a lot of areas within the art world. So artists, curators, gallerists, collect. We haven't actually had any collectors on yet. Um, that might be that's definitely a plan, but I don't know how mm. how that would work necessarily. But we want to basically have as many different voices on there as possible yeah so we we also try and have quite well-known artists um and then very early career artists and we try and basically just have a chat with some people yeah. about their work and their views um yeah and, and how, how is it similar to how you select your artists for your gallery in terms of who you like who you ask to come on to the podcast uh yeah pretty much yeah i mean um yeah, again, we uh, we have this focus on early career artists. So we we either pick people who are early career artists who um, we think will have um, some interesting insight in what that's like. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily ones that are doing super well, although they all are doing very well. Um, it's people that we either think have an interesting insight on a part of the world that they're, a part of the art world that they are authorities on. Mm-hmm. Or people who we think would... So a lot of our questions are very... Give some advice to a young artist type questions. People who we think would have interesting and unique and useful answers to those kinds of questions. Mm. (laughs) Um, You run um, the Daily Contemporary Art Instagram, right? Yeah. And, well, and top on top of everything else. Yeah, how... Yeah, how's... Because that's got quite a big following. And that must be quite, you know... To post daily on that. No, we don't post on that. Oh, really? No, so so I, I can't remember which we started first, either Delphine or Daily Contemporary Art. Yeah. Um, but we set up Daily Contemporary Art when we were in Amsterdam once, just like on a whim. We were like, oh, let's make, a, let's make this thing. And then we set it up, and then we were posting artwork on it. We just wanted to share artwork that we loved on it. Mm. And then we were doing that. And then, I suppose, got lazy. So we... Uh, <laughs> So we're like, all right, why don't, instead of us posting, why don't we just let other people post? So every week a different person is um, in control of that account. Oh, they, post, they post pretty much whatever they want. We have mm. a few rules. Basically, you can't just be posting your own stuff all the time because this is a platform mm. to share artwork that you love. Yeah. Um, and the other main rule is they all have to, I suppose, be alive. The artists <laughs> have to be alive so that so that's the one consistency, I suppose. Mm. So people post performance, sculpture, painting, photography, anything they want, as long as it conforms to, I suppose, that loose date thing. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone wants to follow it, what, what's the Instagram What's the Instagram handle? It's at daily contemporary art, right? At daily underscore contemporary underscore art. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so 52 times a year, every Monday, someone else gets a password for it. So it's... It's actually not loads of work. Mm. Um, I just chat to people um, a bit yeah. to organise them doing one and then every Monday I just send them the password mm. and then it kind of runs itself. <laughs> yeah. um, um, 
Well, yeah, well, everything you talked about, that's a lot to juggle. How do you find, how do you find, yeah, organising all of that? Got no hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a lot, a lot of hobbies. I don't have any now. I suppose all of my, all of the different jobs I do are my hobbies. Mm. Luckily, they're things I'm super into, but yeah, I, yeah. Uh, don't do anything else. <laughs> and have you have you always been have you always been like that? Uh, no, um, I always had this like um, this energy or this um, creativity, but it was very directionless, and mm. it often manifested itself in me being a little bit of a nightmare. Mm. So I wasn't great at school. I um, I never really had direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I spent all of my teenage years skateboarding until I broke my ankle. Um, and at the time, that really uh, scratched that itch of that like energy and creativity. And, um, and then I broke my ankle and I couldn't do that anymore. Um, and so it found this other outlet, which is art, yeah. that... Um, I suppose I'm very, I'm very lucky in the sense that a lot of people never discover what it is they're truly passionate about mm. or are never able to work in the industry that they really want to. So I'm, yeah. I'm very lucky in that sense. I don't want to sound facetious when I say that it was an accident and mm. that I wasn't planning it. Um, but yeah, so I always had this drive to do something. I didn't know what it was going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so at quite an early age then, you, you made the decision to, to study art? Or, uh, or was it...? Again, that wasn't really a decision. Yeah. <laughs> um, I basically, when I was 15, yeah. art class at school was just like the, the fun place where you could get away with anything. Yeah. So, um, so it was my favourite lesson for that reason. Um, and quite I can pretty much pinpoint what it was. Basically, I was being a bit of a nightmare as I often was at school. And I was just sat in a corridor on my own for like three weeks. Every art lesson I'd sit in this corridor on my own, draw these two ornate glass bottles that were on a mirror. <laughs> I couldn't talk to anyone, there was no one around. So I just ended up just doing it, just yeah. doing the yeah. work because I had nothing else to do. Um, and I got quite into it. Um, I didn't want to join the real world and get a job when I got hit 16. So careers advisor was like, why don't you go do... Um, what was then called an AVCE. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it exists anymore. Um, it was the equivalent of two A-levels um, in art just because I didn't want to have to get a job, basically. Mm. Um, and so I did that and then I went to university because I didn't want to join the real world. <laughs> and then I did a master's degree for very much the same reason. Mm. So it was all... Um, especially when I was at university. I just enjoyed the university lifestyle, the yeah. partying and the, and all of that. So I just continued. And um, what, what was it? A, did you study fine art? Was it no. So I did, um, I did a degree in graphic design mm -hmm. and I was shit at it. I was, in, I was bad. I nearly had to redo my second year. Um, I scraped my way through. Then I did a master's degree in contemporary fine art, mm -hmm. but that was all theory. So I never, yeah. I, w I never was taught or learn really how to draw mm. um, until I suppose I'd learnt myself. Um, so yeah, so I did. I mean, I'm. I don't regret it in the sense that it got me to where I am. Yeah. 
But graphic design was never a good choice for me, really. Mm. I was bad at it and I hated it. So <laughs> <laughs> Lessons learned. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose in some ways I am glad that I did it. Mm. Mm. For sure. Um, well, as you might know, towards the end of these chats... Um, Are we approaching the end? Yeah. Oh, shit. It goes quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, I ask, yeah, I ask our guests a couple of questions. Yeah, far away. Um, the first of which is, um, if you could swap seats with me right now and kind of... I can if you want. <laughs> and, and visit any artist or anyone um, in their studios. Um, yeah, who, who might you ask and what would you want to ask them? Mm, early career Marina Abramovich. I think when she was in like the, the 70s, Rhythm Zero um, is an artwork that I think about daily pretty much Mm. um if not the most powerful artwork if not the most powerful thing ever that i've ever experienced and i've never actually experienced it because it was a Mm. performance that happened before i was born Mm. um reading about it is um has been maybe life-changing maybe that's too too drastic a word but um so that era of her career abramovich i think now I'd be less excited about chatting about mm. her works now. Yeah. Um, but her early career works, um, I'd like to chat to her specifically in that era, mm. if possible. Mm. Um, yeah, probably her. Yeah. What was it about that time? What was it about that work that she was making then? That really... It was just fucking extreme. Mm. It was, um, it was, so I suppose it was neo-conceptual, neo-conceptualism. Mm. Um, but it's basically um, a lot of her work from that time was very um, extreme and self-flagellating. So it was, she would put her body on the line, essentially. But Rhythm Zero, if you or the listeners don't know it, mm. she stood in a gallery with a little sign on a table and it said, the sign on the table said, I am an object, do whatever you want to me, I take full responsibility. On the table next to her, there was, I think maybe 70 items and the the gallery goers could do whatever they wanted to her um and it got extreme very quickly people were some a man sliced her neck with a scalpel and then drank her blood and um there was a gun with a bullet in it someone put the bullet no there was a gun and a bullet someone put the bullet in the gun put it in her hand forced her to point at her own head and then he was just like screaming like shoot yourself at her and she, and eventually, like a gallery, one of the gallery staff intervened and took the gun and threw it out of a window. Jesus. And that artwork is so powerful, not mm. just because it's shocking and extreme, but it's, you know, the Milgram experiment? No. It's an experiment where basically oh, Stanley I might Milgram. I might do. Well, I'll repeat for yeah, the benefit yeah. of any <laughs> listener who might not know. Stanley Milgram, um, it was um, an experiment in basically authority and how will people take my authority if I'm an authority figure? Mm. So people were instructed to basically give electric shocks to someone else. Mm. And they had to turn the voltage up on this machine past the point at which it was safe, just because they were being directed to by Milgram or one of his stooges. And they would, basically. people. And on the machine, it would say, like, lethal dose, do not give this to anyone. Mm they would hear screams through the wall and these people would still deliver these electric shocks. So to contrast Abramovich's work, um, and I think 
this work is more important than the Milgram experiment because it's not it's not um, an experiment into authority and will people do what they're told. Mm. It's people are given free reign to do whatever they want and they do they straight away very quickly go to those extreme actions. So it's um it's I suppose it's a very visceral exploration of things akin to what the Milgram experiment is um, exploring, but also things like um, mob mentality and yeah. and that kind of thing, and the and the um, and the bystander effect and things. People, mm. yeah, I I never would have predicted that that is what would have happened if people were given free reign to do whatever they want. Mm. It's incredible. It's a it's an indictment of the human species. I think. <laughs> yeah, and I might be wrong in saying this, but I think there was another experiment done where. Um, say 20 or so I think it was it might have been just males were put into a building and half of them were kind of Stanford prison experiment that's the one yeah 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 yeah, yeah similar Very to similar. that as well yeah. yeah 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 so so that era of Bramvich for that reason I think um, or Chris Burden who was doing similar-ish things yeah um, around the same time one of them too probably mm. cool <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> hardcore um, and and the, the last question is um you talked about some advice earlier, actually. Um, but the last question is, if is there, has there been any advice that you've been given, um, you know, throughout your kind of career up, up until now that's kind of stuck stuck with you um, and that's kind of carried through and that you remember um, that's kind of, yeah, that sticks with you right now? Um, well, so with the, the magazine, one of the articles that we did was mm-hmm. um, we asked 45 artists the same six questions. Yeah. And then we split them up so that we published one question with 45 answers. Um, and one of them was that very question. Yeah. And um, most, well, a lot of the answers were just work hard and be a nice person. Yeah. And I think that's, that sums it up better than I could ever. Um, work hard, don't be a cunt. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's probably applicable to any, any industry. Mm. Work hard, be nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope I'm doing both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and the last thing is, is there anything that you'd like like to plug or anyone or any artist or anything you've got coming up you'd like to let people know about? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I've talked about myself and what I do for long enough. Yeah. Uh, if people are interested, they can do whatever. I'm not going to try and sell them shit. <laughs> I want to shout out to the um, to the studio podcast. That's what I'm going to plug. <laughs> thanks very much. Check it out, guys, if you haven't heard of it. <laughs> well, thanks very much, mate. That was, Thank you. That was great. Thanks for having me over. No worries. Nice one. Night. Thank you very much for listening. Please find more information about what was discussed in the podcast in the notes section. And if you like what you heard and would like to keep up to date with new episodes, um, then please subscribe or follow us depending on which listening platform you use. And head over to our Instagram page, at to the studio, which we regularly update with posts about each guest we have and all other goings on as well. 
to the studio is produced by the audio wizard and all-round great guy that is Theo Bird and I would thoroughly recommend getting in touch with him for all your audio needs on Instagram he is bird person bird is spelled b-y-r-d person also if you can spare a moment to leave us a lovely review that would help us out a lot and it allows us to reach a few more ears than we are currently And lastly, if you've got any suggestions or opinions you wish to share with us, then please feel free to do so on any of our social media platforms or send us over an email. Our details are again in um, the notes section uh, of each episode of the podcast. Well, thanks very much again for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.